Well, we are down to our last two Sundays in our Make a Difference series. And uh, each of the weeks that we've been in this series, we've dealt with important topics and important ways that we can make a difference in the world with the limited time uh, that we have uh, on this earth. And uh, I want to uh, take just a minute here and say that I appreciate all of those who have preached throughout this series. I have uh, taken a number of Sundays where I haven't preached during this series, and so I'm thankful for all of those who preached during the series Uh, including Jeff last week, who preached on making a difference at work. Are you thankful for all of the folks that uh, so capably preached during this series? Uh, I'll just mention I feel like I'm in a tunnel. I don't know if it sounds like that, but okay. Um, So we're wrapping up the series now with a two-part message on making a difference in your family. You know, there's no more important institution in life than the family. The community that is the church, the larger community, the world itself is dependent upon the family and how things go in the family. The health of the family unit has a lot to do with the health of the church. It has a lot to do with the health of any local community and how the family goes impacts how the world goes. And you may have noticed that there is great cause for the state of the family uh, today. Uh, There are many indicators that this is a concern, not the least of which would include that it's estimated that in the United States, between 40 and 50% of all marriages end in divorce. It's a sad statistic. Uh, A recent study showed that almost 41% of children are born out of wedlock. That's a problem. And of course, the very definition of family has been radically redefined over the last several decades and is undergoing even more radical redefinition today. We may not be able to fix all of the problems that are confronting the family. We may not be able to address all of the challenges that are confronting the family, all the challenges that are aligned against the family, but here is what we can do. We can make a difference in our own families. We can do what we can. We, we can commit ourselves to doing that. Can't, may not be able to, to, to fix everything in the whole world about the family, but we can make a difference in our family. We can make sure that our families function well, that our families are places of peace and safety, that our families are healthy families. So, so we may not be able to fix all that ails the family, but in our own lives, in our own families, I can and you can make a difference in your family. And so this week and next week, we're going to look at ways that we can do our part to make sure that our families are strong and healthy and fulfill their purpose. Today, we're going to look at some specific ways that husbands and wives can make a positive difference in their families. And then next week, we're going to turn our attention to parents and children and how both parents and children can go about making a difference for the good in their families. And so to do this, we're going to find guidance from the Bible, Ephesians 5, 21 through 33 today, and then Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 next week. So if you would, why don't you follow along in your Bible? I think it'll be on the screen behind me as well as I read verses 21 through 33 of Ephesians 5. Here we go. 
Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Everybody take a deep breath. Ah, it'll be okay. All right. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Well, we've come to a fun passage of Scripture today, haven't we? If you're visiting with us today, welcome to the vineyard. You, you picked a great Sunday to come. Uh, this is not one of the more popular passages in the Bible. Uh, it is a passage that has fallen out of favor with many people. It is a passage that has gotten the Apostle Paul labeled as a bigoted bachelor gotten the Apostle Paul labeled as being anti-women. But it's in the Bible, and so we can't ignore it. We can't act like it's the crazy uncle that we uh, you know, hope will just kind of stay away. We, we, we can't do that. On the contrary, this is a part of Scripture. And like all other parts of Scripture, it must be embraced and applied to our lives if we are concerned with allowing God to be God rather than placing ourselves in the place of God. And it's a verse that if it's applied well, if it's applied well, will make a difference in our families for the good. So rather than shrink back from this verse, let's just deal with it and let's receive what it has to say. So how to make a difference in your family, part one is for husbands and wives. All that is contained in these verses that we read is summarized very succinctly in verse 33. Each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Want to make a difference in your family, husband? Love your wife. Want to make a difference in your family, wife? Respect your husband. In his book, Love and Respect, uh, Dr. Malcolm Egrich identifies these two things as the greatest needs in a marriage. A wife needs to know that she is loved, and the husband needs to know that he is respected. Uh, Of course, wives need to know they're respected and husbands need to know they're loved, but Egridge identifies assurance of love as the wife's primary need and assurance of respect uh, uh, as the husband's primary need. 
And what Dr. Egerich's research has done is simply confirmed what the Bible teaches. That if you want a healthy marriage, if you want a strong marriage, if you want a marriage that is a blessing to your children rather than a cause of concern and stress for your children, if you want a marriage that will make a difference in your family, then husbands, you must love your wives and wives, you must respect your husband. So husband, do a little inventory of yourself right now. How are you doing? Do you love your wife? Do your actions show that? Wife, how are you doing right now? Do you respect your husband? And do your actions indicate that you respect your husband? So verse 33 summarizes all that we find in this passage, but then we need to look in a little more detail. There's a little bit more detail that it has for us, and so we need to, uh, to find that out. And so I've decided that we'll let the husbands go first today. Men, verse 25 does not just tell you to love your wife and then leave it undefined for you as to how you do that. It tells you how to love your wife. And here's how it says you are to love her. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So men, if some of you looked at this outline when uh, you got in this morning, you know, you opened up your bulletin, you saw the outline, you may have thought, all right, this message is going to focus on women today. Not, not as much as you might think. Let me point out that there are eight verses devoted to explaining how men are to love their wives. There are three verses devoted to how women need to respect their husbands. There's a lot in here for men. We learn a lot from one phrase within this passage as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's how we're to love. The church does not exist without the life, the sacrificial death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so here is what, there's a lot more that we could uh, say than what I'm going to, but, but here is what we can say uh, about how we are to love, knowing it's to be like Christ loved the church. Number one, uh, we are to love unconditionally. Christ loved us, Romans tells us, when we were yet sinners. Nothing appealing about us, uh, nothing desirable about us. Having aligned ourselves against him by our actions, he loved us. It's unconditional love. Loving like Christ also means loving first. Loving first. In 1 John, we're told that we love Christ because he first loved us. You say, I'm not sure either one of us love each other anymore. Husband, it's your role to love first. It's your role to get that headed in the right direction. You must love as Christ did. It means loving sacrificially. Christ gave himself up for the church. It means he submitted to death for the church. Loving our wives as Christ loves the church means we give ourselves up for our wives. We put her concerns before our own concerns. We sacrifice 
for her. The very word love in this passage gives us some indication uh, of uh, what kind of love we're talking about. The, the word for love in this passage is agape. And most of you are probably familiar. If you're not, agape is not a touchy-feely kind of love. It, it isn't uh, attraction or infatuation labeled as love. Agape is a choosing kind of love. Agape is an act of your will kind of love. And so men, here's how we are called to love our wives. We are called to love our wives first. We are called to love our wives unconditionally. We are called to love our wives sacrificially. And we are called to love our wives because we choose to love irrespective of how lovable any of our wives might be at any given moment in time. Now, perhaps you are objecting to this in the quiet of your own mind. You're saying that all sounds very nice, but it's asking too much. If you knew how she treats me, you would understand how unrealistic this is. This is exactly why Paul has told us to love as Christ loved the church. What's the thing that is of the highest value to God? What does God, what is God so concerned with? And here's what I'd say it is. The thing that is of the highest value to God is holiness. How are we doing with that? I would say that we fail him rather completely in the one thing that is his greatest concern. What's our text say? Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? To make her holy. Christ loves first, unconditionally, and sacrificially. Not because we are what he desires, but to make us what he desires us to be. I want to say that again. Christ loves us first, unconditionally, and sacrificially, not because we are what he desires, but in order to make us what he desires us to be. Likewise, husbands we are not to love our wives because they are lovable, though hopefully you find your wife lovable, but rather our love is intended to help our wives become all God wants them to be. And when that's true, they will be the wife we desire if our desires are pleasing to God. One of the best pieces of marriage advice I've ever received, and it's advice I've often failed to put into practice, but it was this. See yourself as partnering with God to help your wife become who God wants her to be. And of course, the same can be said of wives uh, toward their husbands. This is a good way for both husbands and wives to view uh, their role in the marriage. Our commitment to each other uh, is, is something that has to be 
uh, just unalterable. How are you doing? Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Adele. How are you doing with us, husbands? We're going to talk about the wives here in just a minute. But right now, the focus is on husbands. What do you do, husband, if things are not going the way you want them in the marriage? Do you continue to love or do you start acting in an unloving way? Here is what we are supposed to do. We are supposed to love as Christ loves us. That is toward the end of helping our spouse become who they ought to be in Christ. What else do we find about how we're to love our wives? Verse 28, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it just as Christ does the church. And then we're reminded that from the beginning, uh, when a man and woman marry, they become one flesh. Men, the reality is that loving your wife is loving yourself. If you do not love your wife as you love yourself, if you don't care for her with the same tenacity as you do yourself, consider her interest one with your interest, then you have misunderstood both love and marriage. And you will make a real difference for your wife, for yourself, and for your entire family if you will begin seeing her and caring for her as she really is part of your very being. To make a difference for your wife and your entire family, husband, you must love her as Christ loved the church. You must love her as your own body, which she is. Men, how are you doing with this? No, none of us are going to do this perfectly, but are you working at it? Are you mindful of it? Are you trying? Are you improving in how you're obedient to this passage? The dysfunction in many homes, many divorces, and much of the social dysfunction that results from broken homes is rightly laid at the feet of self-professed Christian men who refuse to love their wives as Christ loved the church, refuse to love their wives as their own body. There is no better way, men, to make a difference in the world than to be obedient in this area and love your wife as you ought to love her. First, unconditionally, sacrificially, with a choosing act of your will kind of love. Now, wives. Verse 33, summarize your responsibility to your husband. It is to respect him. And now, verses 22 through 24 offer some explanation of what that looks like. Verse 22 says that you are to submit to your husband as to the Lord. And it even explains why. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body. This is without a doubt 
one of the most misunderstood and misused verses in the Bible. It has now become one of the most controversial uh, verses in the Bible. And I want to be clear to say that these verses don't mean all that they've been said to mean in times past. They don't mean that women are inferior to men. They do not provide justification for men to be domineering with their wives or to view uh, his wife as being subservient to him. And partially because of the ways these verses have been misused throughout history, many today are doing their very best to completely explain them away and render them totally meaningless. But while they may not mean all that they've been said to mean, they do mean something. They mean something. And you can work through all of the various takes on this passage. And none of them, I don't believe at least, can credibly change this central truth of verses 22 through 24. And that is that there is a unique leadership role in the home that belongs to husbands and not to wives. Thank you, Adele. (laughs) Notice a woman said amen. Thank you, Adele. (laughs) In any institution, including marriage, in any organization of people, for there to be order, there have to be two supporting pillars, authority and submission. There must be some who exercise authority and some who submit to that authority. authority. If not, what results? Chaos. Chaos. Wives, maybe you're tempted to respond to this and say, that makes me inferior. I would appeal to you that it does not. 1 Corinthians 11.3 lets us know that God the Father is the head of of Christ. And yet the Bible is quite clear that Jesus is fully God, equal in power, equal in eternity. Everything that exists was made by him. He is the name that is above every name. He is the name to which every knee will bow and every tongue confess. He is not inferior to God, he is God. He's not one third of God, he is fully God. And yet, the Father is the head of Christ. Wives, you are equal with your husbands. In fact, we are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28 tells us there's neither male nor female. We are, we are all one in Christ. But a husband does have a unique unique leadership role in the home that you, wife, are called by God to honor. And maybe I can can make this more palatable to you by, by giving you an example of how I see this working out, how I think a husband's leadership role in the home should work. And I'm just going to use the example of my own home, okay? How this, uh, how this plays out in my own home. Michelle and I are totally equal. In any decision we face, sometimes she will have the better take on the situation than I do. It's rare, but sometimes that does happen. <laughs> just a joke, just a joke. 
every once in a while, I'll have the better take on, on the situation and the decision that we need to make. And so here's what happens. Usually, through careful discussion, consideration, debate, maybe occasionally lapsing into a little bit of an argument, and prayer, we will end up on the same page about whatever decision needs to be made. Being my equal, she is free to offer and contend for what she thinks is right. And let me assure you, my wife contends for what she thinks is right. When we first uh, started being interested in each other, one of the activities we did was played Trivial Pursuit. And uh, I should have been clued into something right from the beginning because we were playing and I got to admit something kind of bad about myself. Uh, uh, The word carnivorous uh, came into the Trivial Pursuit discussion and I pronounced it carnivorous. She loudly laughed at me (laughs) and corrected my pronunciation. This is not a woman who is afraid to tell me her views, correct me, and she is free to do this. She is free to point out the faultiness in my thinking, and I can do the same with her. Usually, almost always, almost always, this process will lead to a mutually agreed upon decision, position, whatever is needed. But here's where my leadership role in the home comes into play. If we have not been able to reach a mutually agreed upon decision, and a decision must be made. Now, a decision doesn't always have to be made. Sometimes you can delay a decision. Sometimes you can stretch it out over a longer period of time. But if a mutually agreed upon decision uh, has not been made and a decision is required... I'm going to make that call. And then she has a responsibility to support necessary yield to that decision. That does not make her inferior to me. She's not. I just have a God-given role in the home that God has not given her. And it's for there to be order in the home rather than chaos. It's really a gift from God that he set up some order in the home. You know, when there's no order, I I mean, if somebody doesn't have the leadership role, friends, we're talking about chaos. That's what ensues. And that's the state that many homes are in. And they shouldn't be. They just follow what the Bible teaches. Without someone who leads and someone who respects their leadership, any institution, including marriage, breaks down into chaos. Now, wives, this isn't the only way that you walk out respecting your husband, but it is a significant way that you walk it out. You recognize that he does have a God-given leadership role in the home. So Paul writes that wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord, and this then verse 24 says that as the church submits to Christ, so also wives, excuse me, are to submit to their husbands in everything. So submit as unto the Lord, Submit as the church submits to Christ. And just as there are no given loopholes for men when it comes to loving their wives, 
Wives, there are no loopholes when it comes to respecting the leadership of your husbands. To, to make this point, First Peter advises wives of unbelieving husbands to still submit to the leadership of their husbands. This shows us that it is not conditioned upon the husband being all he should be. Just like loving the wife isn't conditioned on her being lovable at any given moment, respecting and submitting to the leadership of the husband is not conditioned on the husband being all he should be. He has been given a leadership role in the home by God even when he is not everything that he ought to be. Now, this does not mean that a wife should submit to her husband if the husband is trying to lead her into sinful decisions. It does not mean that. But with that exception, it appears scripturally that the husband's leadership role is to be respected even when he is not all that he should be. And just as husbands are to love their wives toward becoming who God wants them to be, First Peter says that a husband can be won over to Christ and become the person that he should be by the behavior of his wife, by his wife willingly respecting his leadership role within the home. And so in a culture that increasingly treats men as stupid and shallow, have you noticed that pretty much every sitcom on TV, the man is just stupid? I laugh at it like everybody else does, but it's really, it's really not that laughable a thing when you kind of get under the surface and really think about what's happening there. A lot is being undermined uh, with that, but, but it, uh, the, the culture is largely emasculated men. And in this culture, it will make a difference in your home lives if you will choose to respect your husband, if for no other reason than because the Bible tells you to and you want to be obedient to God. So wives, how are you doing with this? Do you recognize your husband's God-given role in the home? You're not going to respect him perfectly, but are you trying? Are you growing? Men need respect. And if you give it to them, your marriage will benefit, you will benefit, your kids will benefit, your home will benefit. Love and respect. If you think about it, really both are forms of submission. For a husband to love his wife as Christ loves the church, he must submit his wishes for her good. He, he must yield what he wants for her. For a wife to respect her husband, sometimes she has to submit to his leadership. We submit to one another, which is exactly what the first verse of this section of Scripture that we read says to us, exactly what it tells us to do. 521 is the, the verse that preceded all the others that we've discussed so far today, and it outlines a responsibility that all Christians have, and here's what it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Love and respect, both forms of submission. We are all called to submit to one another. Mutual submission. Husbands submitting to the good of their wives. Wives submitting to the good of their husbands. We submit to each other just in unique ways that God has specifically 
called us to. There is no doubt that if every husband in this room would commit yourself starting today to love your wife as God has called you to love your wife, and if every wife in this room would commit starting today to respect your husband as God calls you to respect your husband, if we would all do that, our families would be changed for the better. We would make a real difference in our families. And then if enough families do that, you make a difference in the church, you make a difference in the community, you make a difference in the whole world. If we would realize that our responsibility isn't conditional on what the other person does, and all of us start doing what we should, no matter what our spouse does or doesn't do, our families would change for the good, our marriages would change for the good. Women, you would increase the odds of your husband changing for the better if you would respect him, even if you don't feel that he's earned it. Men, you would increase the odds of your wives changing for the better if you would love her, even if you feel she's unlovable at this particular moment. We would make a difference in our families if we would do these things. You say, Brian, this all sounds good in the realm of theory, but in practice, that would be really hard to do. Especially if I have to do what you're saying, but then my wife doesn't get with the plan. I need to be happy. And I can't be happy if I don't get what I'm supposed to get out of my marriage. Someone recently shared a thought with me about marriage that was very simple, but I thought quite profound. They had read a question in a book that had impacted them greatly, and they wanted to share it with me and Uh, So I share it uh, with all of us here today. I, I think it's a pretty impacting question. The question is this. What if the purpose of marriage isn't to make you happy, but to make you holy? What if the purpose of marriage isn't to make you happy, but to make you holy? Doing what we've talked about today is not easy. It requires self-sacrifice, requires self-denial, but it is God's will for us. And God is all about growing each and every one of us into the person that he created us to be. Our text says that he gave himself up for us to make us holy. And marriage is one of his tools. Part of becoming holy is being willing to do what you ought to do, irrespective of whether or not others do what they ought to do. If we would all take this approach to our marriages, we would make a difference in our families. Romans 12.10 tells us this, honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another above yourselves. Let's do that in our marriages. Let's do that and see the difference that will result from it. I appeal to every husband and wife here today, commit yourself to loving and respecting each other 
as God tells us to in Ephesians 5. Don't delay. Start today. Make a difference in yourself, your marriage, make a difference in your spouse, and make a difference for your entire family. This is my prayer for us today. Why don't you stand?